0: Hey everybody, hope you're having an awesome day and welcome to another edition of Contractor Evolution. Benji and I are here at the studio.
1: Hey guys, so today we are doing a Q&A episode. We get submitted hundreds of questions every year. Um, we try to answer all of them, but there's often a bit of an overflow list. And so for today's episode, we're just, we've combed through the list. We've picked the questions that seem to come up a lot. Like these are consistent themes. These are pain points that, um, a lot of contractors are struggling with. And we know that because they're being asked so many different times. And so we've just put a couple thoughts to each and we've got 10 questions, 10 answers. Uh, here's the first one. Awesome. So Igor, uh, this one's from Greg price, owner of tightline quality painting in sun river, Oregon. What is the number one key to
0: building your best team? And what do you look for when you hire? Yeah, it's a great question here coming from Greg. So I'll say the number one thing for me is I'm looking for people that can and want to take more and more responsibility. And, and I'll tell you kind of my mind frame on this, um, When you started your business, so think back to when when you started, you were everything, right? You were the marketing guy, you're the sales guy, you're the production guy, you're the painter, you're the finance guy, you're the customer service guy, you're doing everything, right? And the analogy that I like to think of in my head is that of an onion. At the beginning, you're that whole onion, and what you're really doing over time is you're peeling away parts of this thing, Right. And, and I remember it very well. This is, you know, three different companies that I've built over time. And, and, and I'm always the whole thing at the beginning. And really what happens is, is I'm almost like taking away parts of myself and my role and giving it to people. So at the beginning you take the one big piece off the onion, right? When you hire your first employee. So if you're doing everything now, someone else is doing whatever, a half or a third, or a quarter, whatever it might be. And over time, then you take a bit of that person's role. And then you take a bit more of yourself. And all of a sudden, as you build out a team and everyone gets more and more focused on what they do, um, you're, everyone has a smaller chunk of that onion, but is better and better at doing it. And so with that, what you need are people that want to take that responsibility, would love to take that responsibility, and also have the ability and the skill to do so. So that, I would say, is, is, is the single Uh, biggest thing. People that can take real responsibility, uh, rather than just taking direction and getting menial stuff done because you need to peel away that onion. You're no longer the whole thing and everything just gets more and more specialized as you grow. So that's the single biggest thing that I look for.
1: Right. Um, for me, I would just say, don't forget how important it is to have people you enjoy spending time with on your team. We talk talk a lot about like interviewing and skills and personality profiles and um, like there's a huge amount of value to all of that stuff. Uh, having sort of a scientific, analytical approach to understanding people, and then putting them into the right role. So I don't, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, but like you do need to want to hang out with them. 100. So business is hard, and it's like a lot of hours. If you're slogging it out next to people who you have no rapport with, who you can't crack a joke with, who you have nothing in common with like business is already exhausting as it is. That's another layer of something that tires you out. So don't like, don't forget that. We always have this, um, we throw this term around, in Breakthrough Academy, like it's the beer and barbecue test. Like if you d- wouldn't want to get a beer or have them over to a barbecue, like you are not going to want to work with them for very long. Uh, so that's something to not lose sight of when you're trying to build a team. You want to gel, you want to have chemistry. Um, so super, super critical.
0: Yeah, totally. And and you got to enjoy hanging out with them, right? But there's also the team, hence the beer the, and barbecue they need, test. They yet. need
1: to enjoy hanging out with each other also.
0: Yeah, th- that term I, f- I first heard from Brian Scudamore, the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and that's kind of what he talks about, like how... Like, would you love to go hang out with them for a beer or many at a bar? And on a team barbecue, would, would, would they gel with your team? So it's, you're totally right. It's got to be both of those things.
1: Cool. Okay, question two is from Vadim. Vadim is the co-owner of Grime Fighters. Uh, they're a window cleaning contractor in Vancouver, BC. Uh, kind of a timely question with where we're at in the world right now. What ways are you
0: looking to hedge the economic risk of your company? Yeah, so I'll give you my take on this one first. Um, I think that, so as a business owner, especially as you say in this time, one thing you got to be hyper aware of is you have serious responsibility on your shoulders here. You've got employees with lives, with mortgages, with families. It is not cool to be running with blinders on. Yeah. It's not cool to run your organization without a really acute understanding of the what ifs right? That doesn't fly. So some of the things that are absolute musts in my world, I'll give you a few. Um, you need to every year be modeling different financial scenarios. So we talk about building a budget, cash flow forecasts, financial trending, all this kind of stuff. It's not enough just to build one budget and projection for the year. Um, you, you have a responsibility to your people to be looking at different financial scenarios and what, and what happens if you economically things don't pan out the way that, right. that you think so what happens if your lead flow very abruptly drops by 50 percent what happens if your closing ratio from estimates to close closed jobs very quickly drops by 15 or 20 percent mm-hmm. what happens if you have 10 percent of your book jobs all of a sudden back out or 30 right right what does The business model look like. What do? What is the whole? um, What is the sales plan, the production plan, and the the financial implications of it? What happens in there? Who are you retaining? Who are you not? Where are you cutting budgets from? What budgets are you keeping? And how do you maintain your core group of people and your promises to them, especially? when they have families and mortgages, all this kind of stuff. So that's the first thing I'd say, if you're not doing that, you need to look at yourself and think about the responsibility that you really have on your shoulders with the team that you've built.
1: So, so it's not, it's not just like a scenario. We're going to write the budget that I'd love to see happen. Totally. Like there's, there's a scenario, B scenario, C scenario, totally. maybe all the way to F scenario. Like you, yeah. you're, you're fully prepared for best to worse. And you've um, game planned, at least a little bit for what you would do in all of those situations.
0: Yeah. Last year was a really good example. Look, I've spent, I don't even know how many hours, at least 10, 20, 30 hours. Uh, I remember it each in, in that Q2, going through each of those scenarios of, of what that looks like again, because you're playing with, your KPIs in your business, like your lead flow, your closing ratios on estimates, um, all this kind of stuff. And then looking at what does this mean for revenue? And if revenue was, was to drop by each each of those functions, what would you do to keep the business afloat and to keep your core people employed? So that's that's one key piece. The other key piece that I don't think a lot of business business owners have supervised is how much free capital do you have? So I use this example of what's called a war chest, It's going to depend on the size of your business. Um, You need to have free cash. And I mean like not invested, not tied up, just straight free cash sitting. And from an owner's draw perspective, you shouldn't be taking owner's draws until that war chest is filled up. Mm -hmm. So I'd say if you're running a $3 million painting business, you should have at least $300,000 in free cash plus open LOCs, line of credits that are available, and I mean unused, Sitting open available just for worst case scenarios. Okay, cool. So war
1: chest, A scenarios, B scenarios, F scenarios, that's what you would do to sort of hedge any doubtful economic situation. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Question number three from Charlie Bethel of Plus Construction here in Vancouver. So Charlie asks, When managing your mental health as a business owner, what strategies do you use? to deal with the pressures and stress okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take this one. First of all thank you for asking um i think that this is a very real part of entrepreneurship that probably doesn't get talked about quite mm-hmm. enough um and i, I can kind of speak to a few things that i do um when i'm in crisis mode or i'm having a bad quarter or a bad week which is the reality of business totally. by the way like this, like we, you know, we talk about business is this fun, exciting, really amazing thing. I think but it's YouTube, full of ups and downs. I think, I think YouTube and Instagram do kind of a bad job totally. of making it seem a lot more fluffy and like this exciting adventure, like it, which it is. But it's also like there's a lot of shit in the middle that you have to deal with and navigate. So yeah, if
0: you want to achieve great things like you, there are dark places you go totally. in the middle. Totally.
1: OK, so when you get to those dark places, here's some things that I do that have helped me. So um, when I'm having one of those weeks or one of those months, one thing I do a lot of—it's really simple. You're gonna laugh. I just write more lists. So when you have cortisol levels that are spiked, your cognitive functioning isn't working as well as mm-hmm. it would if you weren't stressed out. Uh, you tend to forget things more. You're slower to process information. Your memory's a little bit, uh, a little bit affected. So if you, um, if you consider that, like you're way more likely to make small mistakes, miss details which adds another layer of stress to the situation you're already in. So what I do is I literally write things down. If I have an hour-long work block and I have to get a few things done, I'm like A, B, C, D, or one, two, three. I'll write a short list, and then I cross them off when I mm-hmm. finish. If I'm going to go do an outing, go to a site, go to a store to pick things up, I write a list, I cross things off. The simple process of writing it out, doing that brain dump, and then, yeah, finished finished, finished, finished. It gives me this weird, small, but important sense of control and it builds a little bit of momentum. So number one, I write some lists. Number two, I pick up the phone and I reach out to friends, especially friends that own or have owned other businesses. Um, a little vent sesh can be super, super cathartic, right? Even if you don't solve the world's problems or your business problems in a Mm -hmm. 30 minute call, you feel better and that matters. So that's number two. Um, I I take my sleep really, really seriously. So um, like I have blackout curtains. I have a face mask. I have good sleep hygiene. I don't look at screens late at night. Uh, I watch my caffeine intake because I know that if I am stressed and I have a bad night's sleep, it's like even worse. That's another one.
0: Um, you, know, you and I were joking about this recently with the rings that analyze all, all of your like sleeping patterns and all that stuff. I totally nope. get like you're joking. Like, I don't need another thing telling me that I had a bad sleep. It's, I already know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's that that part, of, you know how you're going into a day and, and that's why you got to watch your sleep. Right. even if you don't have one of those, yeah. th- those devices, like. It, it does and can throw you off. Absolutely. Yeah, like
1: not, not everyone is like a bear like me and needs to sleep like nine to 10 hours a night. Like you, you know what it is for 100%. you, but definitely don't like, don't deviate from that and don't think that you can get away with five hours a night, you know, night after night. That will accumulate. Also bad for the cortisol levels. Um, number four, okay, You know, kind of new age, I get it, you might make fun of me, but I do, I've done a lot of sober weeks and sober months, especially this last year through COVID, which if I'm totally honest, has been pretty hard, like I've, I've, there's been really tough chunks for me with the news, the state of affairs, the economy. Uh, the workloads like hasn't gotten any lighter. Like it's just it's just been a tough mm-hmm. little chunk here. So um, I've done two full sober months and a sober week. I used to make fun of people who did this all the time. I thought it was so nauseating, but I tried it and it's really really good. Right, you just like no booze, um, no distractions in that way your, your mind's a little clear, you don't have that depressant entering your system. So that's something that's, that I've leaned on in these times. And then the last one I'll say is hop off of social media, right? Like I did a six month Instagram diet this year. It was massively helpful. Um, You're not sucked into this world, which is designed by thousands of people way smarter than you or I to keep you locked in there. You get out of the negative Mm -hmm. stream. Yeah, it's good for the occasional laugh here and there. But by and large, it's just a feed of like dark energy. And so I just I'm just like, "Ah, I'm going to take a break from that. Pick it up later. I didn't miss it at all. Those are five things that I've done. Uh, when in a place of, of crisis to help my and mental I'll, health.
0: I'll, I'll give you my take on this one. Um, one of the things that I find very powerful in this subject is having a ton of fun, right? I totally get where you're coming from on the need to sleep. I have that too. Uh, my the, the other side to that is there's also a huge benefit to really having a good time in life and doing the things that you love to do. I'm all for sleep. I'm very similar to you. I'll go into hibernation mode for, I can, I can sleep forever uh, when I have the time. But um, I've noticed that even sometimes if I have a bit less sleep, but I'm doing the things that I really love, if it's an amazing mountain bike session, ski days, uh, you know, big hiking, camping adventures, great nights out with friends, uh, whatever it might look like, those things fuel me up. And everyone's different, right? You have introverts, extroverts. Um, everyone has something different that brings them energy, but when you're living a well-balanced, a very full life and, and you've got that mental high, um, that goes a really long way. And, and, and I find it absolutely comes into business. I'm a better leader. I'm a better performer when I'm having a ton of fun in life. Even when you're stressed, even when I'm stressed, especially when
1: you're stressed, even when I'm stressed. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I find that, yeah, for me, it's great nights out with people that I love, um, it's big hikes. It's yeah. like a lot of physical exertion, big mountain bike sessions, road cycling, hiking, camping, just being out amongst like the energy of big nature. Um, those go a long way for me. And I find even if I'm a bit more physically tired, I mentally feel really good. Well, so,
1: okay, let, let's, let's talk about that for a second, because a lot, like a lot of business owners, that would be the first thing they cut Totally. a, because they don't have the time and B I'm kind of speaking to myself here. There's a mindset that you don't deserve to enjoy it. You're like, I'm too stressed. There's too much to do. If I go for a bike ride right now, like that's like dishonoring my business or something. What, what would you say to
0: that? I'll give you an example. The other day, and here's how... how much I cut that mental thought out. I don't even allow myself to go all the way into the house. Like uh so this is 2 days ago. I came back. I was in the office super early. Um I was driving to the office in the dark in the morning. I was I was there till late. I literally drove my car into the garage, went home, grabbed my mountain bike stuff and the truck keys, threw my mountain bike right. into the truck and straight out to the mountains, right? I don't even like go to the couch, so to speak right? Cause I know that while it might feel good in that moment as I'm a little bit tired, uh, I'm right back out the door and, and that is not going to work for everyone, but that, that works. I know for me to get that, that, that physical, that sweat out. Um, and, uh, and just to be in nature works really well, even though I've worked the next morning and know I'm going to feel better in the grand scheme of it. So, um, live a big, full, well-balanced life and have fun.
1: It's going to make those dark periods a lot easier to Get to the yeah. other side of, and it.
0: as a leader, people are going to feel it from you. If you're having totally, a good time in life, totally. the people you work with are going to feel that.
1: that. That's the other thing. Yeah, the, the
0: stress shows.
1: Okay, question number four. Uh, Jeremy Riddick, owner of Element Roofing in Indianapolis, Indiana, asks: What are the two to th- what are two to three of your favorite
0: hiring questions for sales reps? Awesome, totally different topic. Um, totally different. All right, sales reps. So here's my take on this. Um, Somebody that is going to be a really strong salesperson is an absolute closer, and they know how to hit goals. They know how to go and make stuff happen. This is a pretty natural pre-wiring, in my opinion. I've hired hundreds and hundreds of people. It's very, very difficult to teach someone to be a hungry goal hitter, right? an achiever, right? There are people that are wired to set goals and achieve goals, and there are people that are not wired that way. It is, in my opinion, not it's, it's, it's not a worthwhile endeavor to try to teach this to somebody. You can teach a ton of skill. You can bring your experience to the table for people as a coach, but to try to teach them this deeply ingrained thing is very difficult. So in interviews, when, it, when you're talking about salespeople, um, key, key thing to look for is their past track record of setting and achieving goals. Now, it can be in many different arenas, right? If this person's younger, this can come from school and academics. It can come from sports. It can come from other extracurricular activities, whether it's adventures or uh, biking, cycling, running marathons, whatever, right? Um, But people either have this in their past or they don't. And if they are wired that way, they would have done tons of other stuff in life uh, previously in their life that would have showed that. And yeah. if they haven't, they haven't. So that's one big thing I interview for. I'm looking at their past track record of their natural mental pre-wiring, of setting goals and achieving goals, and in between, have building a really good plan of how they're going to achieve.
1: So, that. so when, so uh, when you ask someone that maybe doesn't have this quality that you're looking for, you say, "Hey, can you tell me about a goal that you've set for yourself in the past year?" They kind of go, huh.
0: "A goal." It'll come out, right? But I'm very explicit with it, right? I'm saying like, so I want you to think about the last five years of your life. Yeah. Okay. And think about the many arenas of your life, your personal life, school, sports, work, just depending on their age, right? Mm-hmm. And I want you to tell me about your most meaningful two goals. And I mean, measurable focused yeah. goals that you've set and gone out to achieve, regardless of whether you achieve them or not,
1: right? And the qual, the quality, the detail, the story of the answer that you totally. get on that is going to tell you a lot about that wiring. That exactly. You're
0: if for. they're saying like, I set a goal eight years ago to do my first Ironman within the following two years, mm-hmm. they might have, uh, they might have not finished the race, let's say, but they t- set the goal they built a plan built an extraordinary plan to go hit it training for a year and a half regimented all mapped out the meal plans the sleeping plans the training plans and and let's say the day before the race they got sick and they still went out and did it and weren't able to complete that's still pretty high what we call attainment this natural desire to go and achieve and attain goals can, can, still be there now. And often a high team individuals, you'll find they do hit goals, but what matters way more is the fact that they naturally have a tendency to go set them and to create really good plans towards achieving
1: So, like nobody wants to babysit their sales guys or girls (laughs) you don't want to be pushing
0: a wet noodle across the finish
1: line every week hey did you make your calls hey did you like where are the results like that's just exhausting and i think that uh, anyone that has managed salespeople, like they'd be able to tell like there's such a clear distinction between people who have this trait and people who Mm -hmm. don't okay so that's that's the attainment thing is there anything else that you would add to that
0: yeah. I'll add in a second in there, uh, as you know, sales is full of a lot of ups and downs, right? right? Good coaster. weeks, bad weeks, good months, bad months. Uh, people who are not able to handle those up and downs aren't going to do well. Right. So one of the other, uh, markers that I really look for in someone's past is how well are they able to handle those transitions, those ups and downs. So how well do they stay in pursuit of that goal? that we talked about and that natural ability to set and hit goals. Now what's slightly different but related is how how well do they stay in pursuit of that goal even through the ups and downs? Mm -hmm. So when things are not going the way that they want them, do they maintain focus on that goal and keep that perseverance to battle through so what i'm really looking for in their in in the track record of their life and i'm not asking hypothetical future related questions it's all about their past i'm looking for scenarios and situations in their life and everyone has them when they've gone through significant obstacles and challenges how well did they maintain focus
1: right Um, someone that does not have that trait, what does that look like to work with?
0: So everything's great when they're going out, when they're going out to achieve stuff and things are moving forward, when things don't go to plan, which is going to happen as a salesperson guaranteed. Exactly. You will notice a massive oscillation in their energy levels, their engagement, their commitment, and their just their overall connection into the work. Um, It can be high, but it can also be low. And as your business grows, you as a leader don't have as much time or mental bandwidth to manage other people's large oscillations like that. Right. I'd rather take someone that's maybe not as high of highs, but remains more consistent than someone that I cannot rely on and does this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So
1: those are two. So we got attainment, like the wiring yeah. to, to set and hit goals. And then we have fundamental, which is someone's ability to stay in pursuit of obstacles, stay in pursuit of the goal despite obstacles or challenges. Sorry. Those are How two things that you look for. Okay. So, so I, I gave this and thought, I love this question. The, okay. You need to be acutely aware of someone's sales instincts, okay? There is somebody, there's a huge difference between someone who has worked in sales before and a tried and tested closer, as you say. Right? There's a huge difference. You, as a small business owner, you want the closers, right? In sales organizations, Pareto's principle is alive and well. Generally speaking, eighty percent of the revenue comes from about twenty percent of the sales mm-hmm. team. We like we we know this. Mm-hmm. You can see it in like different industries, different sizes. You do not want one of those net wet noodles. You want somebody who is uh, who is a tried and tested closer, and you definitely don't want someone who isn't. It's a lot of work. So when I'm uh, if I was sitting down across from someone, there's a few things that I would be looking at in particular eye contact like Mm -hmm. do they do they look at my face i'd be looking for things like active listening skills do they are they saying "Uh uh-huh are they nodding their head Mm -hmm." like that type of stuff as they're listening to me speak Uh, i'd be looking for the straightness of their back and their posture So these aren't necessarily like, these aren't questions. These are just things that you're paying really, really, really close attention to. That's kind of like some foundational stuff. Then what I would get into to actual, to to, uh, figure out whether or not these people are going to perform is I would ask them about different parts of their sales tool belt. So, hey, tell me about like some of your favorite rapport building questions. Mm -hmm. What do you do to make somebody feel immediately comfortable with you when you meet them for the first time? Or I'd ask them, okay, you're doing a setup call to to actually like schedule an estimate with a lead that's come in. And the husband says that he'll just handle all the decision-making that like you don't need both decision-makers there. Like what would you, what would you do to address that and maybe correct it and make sure that both decision-makers are present? Um, What kind of questions do you ask to understand someone's needs on a deep level? Here's a great question. Hey, When it comes time to actually like ink a deal, like you're getting close to the end, the proposals on the table, what are your favorite closes? Like, What do you actually say? What what are the words that come out of your mouth to say like to go from, and maybe it's like, we're going to do business with you. Totally. Okay. So if any of those questions stump somebody, you're probably not talking to a closer. You're talking to someone that has maybe worked in sales before, but they're going to go out and they're really, really going to struggle mm-hmm. uh, getting contracts, closing deals, generating revenue for the business. So those would be things that I would be looking at if you yourself as a business owner are not a super strong salesperson or you don't have mm-hmm. a, 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 like a long history t- selling find a friend or a colleague or someone that does and i would i would almost try to have them to like a final interview with your favorite two candidates cuz they will be able to sniff that out very very quickly
0: totally yeah these interviews with 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 sales prospects to me are pretty interesting cuz there's really in my opinion, like I break out interviews into two totally different environments. And in one environment, I'm very well prepared. And I'm thinking very tactically as an interviewer, as I'm diving into their past and their track records. Some of these things I was talking about earlier in the other interview, I'm a lot, there's a lot less thought going on and I'm just feeling into what it's like to be in front of this person. And it's a totally different space to be as an interviewer where one's way more in your head. And the other one's like, how do I feel around this vibe. person? Yeah. It's a vibe of how do they go about answering those questions? pretty easy to, as an interviewer, if you've got those questions prepared to ask them. And you're really tuning into like, what is it like to sit in front of this person? Because that's what your potential, your prospective customers are going to feel. Totally. Right. So tactical interviewing from the head. And then there's the other one where you just tune into how does it feel to sit in front of this person? I
1: love it. Okay, cool. Uh, though that's the our, our advice on sales reps. Okay, question number five is from Mark Ringel uh, of Paintworks New York, and he asks: oh, This is a good one. What is the biggest mistake you've made when hiring a manager of any sort? Great question. I'll I'll
0: take that one. I've made plenty of of uh, of these kind of mistakes. So number one for me is the ability. To lead that while it seems like, Hagar hey, that's such a basic answer. Most people get it wrong because you associate somebody who's good at the actual thing with someone who's able to lead that thing. And those are two totally different concepts. Um, From my learning and reflecting on all this stuff, I would any day take someone who has slightly lower technical competence in it, but who is a natural leader of women and leader of men. Mm -hmm. That is a different skill and a different type of individual than is someone who's extremely technically competent. And I think we see those mistakes all the time. We see them in marketing, we see them in sales, we see them in sports, right? Just because someone is very good as a salesperson doesn't mean that that at all that they're going to be a great leader of a sales team. Completely that, different.
1: That's the classic example. I, I we, our, my, my top closer, he's so good. We're going to make him sales manager next year. And then next year, he totally face plants and Totally. He, and a Q2, he's like, can I just go back to sales? I hate this. Totally, <laughs> yeah.
0: exactly. But you can you see it in examples in production just because someone's a great job site manager, right? Where they might lead like a job site, but they're the person that's on the tools doesn't mean that they're a great production manager. Yeah. The set of skills when it comes to leadership of people to you implementing like the overall production systems, to holding accountability, um, staying organized across the whole production system Totally different stuff. Yeah. Right, totally different stuff. You see it in marketing. You, you, you see it in really everything in sports. The,
1: well, that, the, I was going to say the classic example in sports is Wayne Gretzky. He's the greatest right. hockey player of all time. He coached the Phoenix Coyotes for however many years, and it was not good. He was totally. easily, like, I think he was under 500 the whole time, and everyone was just like, yeah, okay, he's a better player than he is a coach. Now, the reason I've learned that is, there's, a, there's a, a term in psychology called the curse of knowledge. And the curse mm. of knowledge is when you get so good at something, totally. you become what they call unconsciously competent, meaning you can do things without thinking. Yep. You can close a deal with a customer without thinking. You can build a production schedule for your six crews without thinking. So when you get really, really skilled at something, your ability to then teach that to someone else diminishes yep. greatly. Because it's easy for you. Because it's easier for you. It's, it's totally. It's now automatic. Yeah. So that's actually what happened with Wayne Gretzky. Like, people are like, hey, how do you do what you do? And he's like, I have no idea. I just do it. Totally. So that's something to be hyper, hyper, hyper aware of when you're looking to promote somebody to manager or hire somebody into a manager. Like, the ability to uh, communicate really clearly, the ability to uh, have those critical accountability conversations when you, when you need to. That stuff is more important than the technical skills of the roles that they're leading or managing.
0: 100%, right? And if you're in a position where you're like, hey, I need a leader to oversee all my estimators or all my salespeople, and you automatically go to, well, obviously it's the top sales guy, maybe maybe not right but if you do entertain that conversation with that individual what you're looking at is you're not looking at their sales track record you're almost interviewing them blank slate interviewing them of what is this individual like as a leader and mm-hmm. it's very important to not get tainted by their by by their technical acumen or their track record in sales you're interviewing for something completely different
1: mhm mm-hmm. right okay so I hope that one helped. Question number six is from Ryan Overly of Boulder Landscape and Design out of Boulder, Colorado. Beautiful place. Can't wait to go back. Uh, He asks how to figure out the best role for myself as an owner and which roles to delegate to others. I love this question and it comes up all the time. It's sort of, it's a funny one because you own your own business. You can do whatever you want. Why is this so hard? It's sort of like the reason it's hard to pick a show on Netflix. It's like, you can do whatever you want. It's a paradox of choice. Totally. Um, So how, how would you answer this? How do you figure out the best role for, how do you figure out the best role for yourself and then what to delegate to others?
0: Yeah. So like I talked about in one of the previous questions, like you are everything at the beginning. And one of the things I find that people don't spend enough time on is during those early stages of understanding, where do I fit? And way more importantly, where don't I fit? Business is a very complex sport, right? So like in basketball, you have different positions, right? The point guard has very different natural abilities, skills, experience than does the power forward or the center or whatever right? Um, business is the same way, right? Like there are v- very many players. And for you to think that you are the individual that encompasses all of those, I think is very naive and perhaps a bit arrogant. Um, in every organization that I've seen, including ours, it takes such a wide variety of personalities, natural talents, abilities, exper- sets of experience, all this kind of stuff to actually bring the whole thing to success. And and it's vitally important that you understand for your entire business and entrepreneurial journey where you do. And more importantly, where you don't fit, because it is in those areas where you don't naturally fit. Well, like I have my whole, the whole set of, of skills that are needed where it's not my ideal. That's not where I play yeah. ideally, where I need to surround myself with people like that. And I have in this organization and, and, and in previous ones. So having that level of self-understanding, um, is really good because while there's a lot of you know, books and, and, uh, thought leaders that, that talk a lot about working on your weaknesses and stuff. It's, I would say it's also pretty fun to play in your strengths. Yeah.
1: That, that's what I was going to say, uh, to you, Ryan, uh, it's a really good question. My, uh, what I've done is I I pay really, really close attention to the stuff that really fires me up.
0: Right. I pay
1: equally close attention to the stuff that really makes me feel bogged down and demotivated. So if you like get unbelievably excited, like in your vehicle after signing a big contract with a whale of a client, like you need to pay attention to that. And at the same time, if you're like totally overwhelmed by like a whole bunch of administrative work, which is like probably the case for a lot of our contractors pay attention to that. Or on the other hand, you know, another example, if you get really excited when you finish a project that was big in scope, quite complex, you know, really multidisciplinary, you had a bunch of different trades on site, the client loved it. If you got like you sort of doing the final inspection and hearing the client go, I can't believe how well you guys did that, that excites you. You need to pay attention to that. So generally speaking, people are good at the things that they like, and they like the things that they are good at. And so when you use that as a bit of a compass in your own business, if you're fired up by sales, you probably should be somewhere in the sales column. If you're fired up by production, you should be probably somewhere in that column. Totally. If you love financials, if you love whatever, um, that is more than likely where you belong. And that would be a good place to start when you think about who else to surround yourself with
0: hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Question number seven is from Levi Hoyt of Hoyt exteriors. Um, family owned roofing contractor out of Minneapolis. And he asks, how do you put your foot down when you are the nice guy and hate negative situations?
0: Right. Uh, that is a very good question. I think we hear that a lot, don't we?
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's like every session we run, people ask this all the time. Uh, I'll say Levi, like nobody likes this stuff for starters. Yeah,
0: totally. I'll explain to you my, this has almost like been a natural pre-wiring for me. Um, So here's the way that I look at this. I get you love your business. I love mine too. I love them all, right? You create this like emotional attachment to it, right? It's your baby. It's your baby. I think the thing to realize is there's still other stuff that I think for almost all of you, you like to do more, right? You love your family. You love your experiences, whatever those are to you, you. The types of adventures you love. Uh, your business, while absolutely it's something you love and you have a close connection to it, it's still your job, right? And you need to do your job. And a part of doing your job is setting up that business for performance and success because as much as you love working in it, I know that you also love not working in it, Yeah. right? And if you're gonna get to a point where you're not working in it and it's not your life isn't about that business, uh, you need to get to a point where that thing can run really, really well without you. And one of the ways, one of the thing, the pieces along that path, unfortunately, is the fact that you do need to address um, performance gaps uh, mm-hmm. and other different, um, like you could say, values, issues with people that you have. Uh, um, and then, and then, and those things do need to get taken care of swiftly because if they don't, you're going to continue to be a slave of that business. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Overall, realize that while you do love it, don't um, don't allow yourself to get into that zone where it become where you become a slave of it. It's yours. You have a job to make that thing perform without you.
1: Yeah, Levi. Like, uh, and anyone f- for whom this this question really resonates, I think I think like take a little bit of pressure off yourself and realize that nobody, nobody, even people that are really good at these conversations, particularly enjoy them. So that's like, like there isn't some like missing piece that you don't have that other people do. It's like, they're always gonna be tough. So just take that. Um, the other thing I would say when you're having these conversations is like, uh, go through the necessary steps to prepare for mm-hmm. them, okay? So, so think like, what i do is i think first of all like what's what's the worst case scenario here like what are they going to walk off site are they going to quit like immediately are they going to are they going to take like one of my other really good employees with them like get kind of comfortable with the absolute worst case scenario first and sort of problem solve a few things that you may need to do to navigate that if it happens which it probably won't but start there Mm -hmm. okay um i like to write i'm like i'm sort of a typer and so if I want to get a difficult conversation across I might actually write a few notes I might even rehearse it I'd go for a walk and I'd get really comfortable with the words coming out of my mouth so that when I go to have the conversation it's a little bit there's a there's a level of confidence with it because you've done you've spoken these words before whether in the mirror or to your spouse or or whomever Um, when you have the conversation you need to really focus on the infraction and not the person so it's like it's not like, hey, Igor, like, like you've done, mm-hmm. like you are a bad employee and you're doing a terrible job. It's like this, whether it's a behavior, whether it's a performance gap, yeah. whether it's a, a this co- is an issue. inappropriate conversation that they had with it with a client or another team member. It's like this is the issue, mm-hmm. and you really, really focus the attention on that. Speak to some corrective steps that they could make. Um, one thing that I do is I I'm pretty aware of where like when I'd schedule that, so I would put it. Mm-hmm maybe on like a Thursday afternoon or a Friday afternoon. I'm not going to do it in the middle of my busy Monday morning. And lastly, is I would like pre-plan the reward I'm going to give myself after I have the conversation because I hate having them too. So if I have to, you know, I'm going to correct an employee's, uh, you know, they've just had a really abysmal month results wise and we need to talk about it. After I have that conversation, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to have a beer. Like I'm not, I'm not going to like go and pile on a bunch of work on myself after that. Like dangle a little carrot for myself to just, you know, get me across the finish line. So totally. you know, those, those are some small things, but even doing all that, Levi, Levi it's it's still not going to be perfect. You're still going to have yep. those butterflies in your tummy. And I would just encourage you to, to get it done. You'll always feel better after.
0: Right. I'll add one more point, uh, just as an overarching uh, kind of thought. If, if you're in this situation, you have to understand that it is your job to lead the organization to success first and foremost. And, and that is above your need to be liked by your people. So, I'm not saying go out and be an asshole to your people by any means, but I'm just saying you need to understand it's first your responsibility to bring the people and the organization to success before it is to have them really like you in that moment. Right? And I think that that our team does understand that like I have very very close personal connections to to a lot of people on our team, but when there are performance gaps or or the ball is really dropped and all the time, it's not intentional. I address it and I address it, address it firmly and swiftly. And I think that there's that there's a respect there because they know it's not personal. But in that moment, I don't care as much how much I care how much they like me in that very specific moment. I care about the fact that they want to get to success, and they know that we all want to get the organization to success. Mm-hmm. And that's your primary responsibility as a leader is to foster that excellence more so than it is to be liked in that moment. <laughs>
1: Okay, question number eight um, here this is another one that comes up all the time. Okay so it's from Kevin Campo piano of Campo Roofing in Cleveland, Ohio Go Browns. Uh, His question is, at what point do you cut ties with an employee? When do you know when to continue nursing an employee? And when do you know when to start searching for a new one?
0: Here are two things that come to mind for me right away. Um, I see it every time. Number one, you look at your set of values that you deeply believe in as an organization, right, Your, your company's values, now assuming that you've thought well through them, and you can point... To one or multiple of those values that you see consistently being crossed, mm. right by that individual. So now you've seen a track record. It's not just been a week. You've it's been months of the same kind of thing. And you can point to them and be like, "We don't line up on this or on this and this," right? So you see, you can see that. So think about your values and some of these people that you have a bit of a rub with. Can you point to one or some of those core values?
1: So let's use an example, right? Like one of our core values is be real. Mm-hmm. If somebody was not real and they were fake and they were mm-hmm. not transparent and they did that again and again, either the, in, in, you know, how honest they were in their communications or maybe covering things up or just kind of being yeah, corny overall. How does overall.
0: it feel to work with them? Like, is there always some sort of show being put on? Some sort yeah, it's of... Not- yeah, it's, it's not, not real. Yeah. it's not down to earth. It's not chill. It's not like it's not like how we talk right, right. now. It, 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 we're pretend. They're pretending something all the time. It's yeah. That would that, that would that's that, a value being that's crossed. a value, right? And it takes you some time to figure that out. But when you figure that out, of hey, there's a consistent pattern with this individual of they don't relate to others in that down to earth, real, chill way. Y- you feel that, yeah. Right. So that's one, right. Can you point to one of your core values? And the other one is almost always other people in your team are going to feel it. Right. And this is one of the other reasons that I spend quite a bit of time with our, with key people on our team in a pretty kind of personal, casual way. Cause in those casual times, you will start to feel that from other people. It'll come up, it'll come up and it'll come up from one person. Then you'll start to feel with another person. And and I think if you've got a great team, they're not going to come out and Maybe sandbag a guy. Sandbag a guy. Yeah. But when you're in a casual environment, you're just out for a hike or you've got someone over for dinner at your house and you're just chatting and it that vibe will come out.
1: Yeah. Small comments, perspectives, totally. things they tell you of something happened that la- like last week. Like you, totally. you'll, you'll 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 sense you'll it. You'll pick up a vibe. Yeah. Right. So I
0: would say those two things line it up right against your core values. Do you feel a rub somewhere? Can you point it out? And then two, really tune into what you're seeing from the team. If you see it multiple times, it's probably something there.
1: They're they're the ultimate quality control. Totally. Yeah. So okay. that's my thought. Um, How are you? What, so, uh, what, what are you thinking? So I, what what I would say is just like my observation of this is that most entrepreneurs, ninety nine times out of a hundred, when someone gets let go, they get let go months after the totally. moment when they probably could have been. Yeah. Like one time in a hundred, maybe somebody gets fired proactive, like um, preemptively, and they maybe should have been nurtured. Rarely, very rarely, Rarely. though. Very rarely, though. Usually, we hum and haw about it for months, sometimes years. Unfortunately. Um, and so, you know, if, if you're at the point where you're like, Oh, should I do this? Should I not? I'm not really sure. You're, you're actually probably already past the point where you, you could have let this totally. person go totally morally, totally ethically. Now still go through the due diligence if you haven't following some of the rules that you just said, but take some comfort in that 99 times out of a hundred. It's, it's actually, it takes much longer. It's much more dragged out than it needs to be.
0: hundred percent. Okay. Awesome.
1: Question nine is from Adam Moss with Moss Roofing, another indie guy. He's from Indianapolis, um, and he asks, "What tactics have you implemented to provide better work-life balance?" Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with this one. I have a few thoughts on it. Um, I really like self-imposed rules, so I have like very strict black and white uh, rules that I apply to myself and sometimes they're hard to stick to but over the long run they lead to a better what are re- some examples re- okay so last here's a new one last year i was pro- pretty overwhelmed for like the last six months of the season and one of the things i um thought about and and just sort of communicated with the team was like i'm actually not naturally a morning person um and i i no longer do anything client facing before eight thirty in the morning right. Okay. Like it's like, don't, don't schedule me for a sales call at eight. It's not on like, like, okay. So that's a good example. I, there could be the occasional time when someone's in Eastern and I'm in Pacific and he really wants to do it, you know, at that time. And I'm just like, no, we're going to have to do it next week. Do I, could I maybe fit in an extra sales meeting or an extra something Mm -hmm. per week? Yes. But is it worth my sense of balance Totally. week to week Mm -hmm. no so that's one thing i've implemented um i will work the occasional evening i don't mind putting in a late shift i won't work weekends it's just like like black and white i don't i don't do stuff on my saturday afternoon that's for like my passions my family my friends my other stuff that's a self-imposed rule again really hard to stick to sometimes especially when it's busy like i'll just squeeze in a bit on saturday i don't do it Okay. Um, another really small one. I know it's kind of goofy, but if I'm having a conversation, a lunch, a a visit with someone that matters to me, my phone goes on airplane mode and it's face down on the table or it's in my bag. Like those are just like small little things that I've just said, no, I'm very, very black and white about this. And it helps. So think about what those might be for Mm -hmm. you. It's going to be different for every individual, but those self-imposed rules help a great deal. Um, I'm also like really big on hyper-rigorous priority management. Every three weeks, I will schedule out the the month in front of me. Like, What are my goals this month? What are the tasks required to hit that? What's most urgent? What can I do later? And my block schedule is very, very dialed, both business and personal. So Mm -hmm. everything is in there. It's a huge, huge, huge help for my stress levels. I sleep better knowing that I just wake up each day going, this is what I'm doing at 8.30. This is what I'm doing at 11. Totally. This is what I'm doing at 5. I don't I don't have to think about it. Because yeah. I, I create time to think about it, and then I don't the rest of the time. Yeah. So th- those are a couple of things I do. Um, simple stuff, but it's it's helped me a great deal.
0: Those are some good points. One of the things that you and I, I think, are see in a very similar way is the importance of living a very full life with many different passions and investing in those passions. What kind of stuff do, are you doing to, to really invest in your life and enjoyment? other than the business? Uh,
1: I ride my motorcycle in the summer. Yeah. I make sure I ski a minimum of 20 days in the winter. I go for hikes. I go for runs. I do a lot of family time. Um, those are the things that literally go into my calendar. I go to my sister's riding lesson because I find it like really cathartic and that's quality time for me. Like I'd say it's non-negotiable, every right. Tuesday at five. So like s- stuff like that is is just as much a priority as like, you know, Hey, we got to finish the slides for this webinar coming up next week.
0: Totally. Yeah. I think about it like the concept of investing, right? Like you invest a lot of time and energy and and everything else into your business. It's, it's, you got to get to a point where you're, where you're excited to invest into other stuff, right? Whether it's your ability to ride, to ski, to, to whatever, right? Like these, these are all investments you make and life becomes a lot more fun and well rounded when you do invest into all these other things. Yeah. That, that, that you really do enjoy doing, right? Uh, that, that's kind of the way that I look at it. When I'm out riding my mountain bike, I'm investing into that sport, into my game there, just like I do, you know, for eight hours or 10 hours a day when I'm investing into the business. This is
1: So this is a question about work-life balance. And, and to sort of put this, uh, look at it from the other perspective, like uh, business owners, guys and girls that are super one-dimensional, <laughs> like they're just like their businesses their life their identity it's they're not gonna love
0: working with you they're not gonna much. love
1: working with you and you're not going to be able to do it for that long like no. we've talked about this on other episodes you need those things that fill you up you need that stuff to 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 make it to the finish line so if you're just like live and breathe your whole life is your company um I in I haven't seen those business owners m- make it.
0: Totally. Succeeding comes down to winning the long game right. and being able to cruise down that long road with sustained excellence for a long period of time. It's not the one and it done. It's not, I'm going to have an awesome year or a great quarter. It's how do I set my entire life up, my family, my passions, my work, my physical fitness and health. How do I set the whole thing up so that I can achieve on the long road because it's where those long, long long-term compound returns come from that you're going to see the greatest success. And to do that, you've got to live a full life, a really well-rounded life, and you've got to invest into the things you love outside of the business.
1: Okay. I love it. Um, Question 10 is from Kobachai of Bungo Box uh, here in Vancouver. What's an awesome. effective way of holding on to overqualified staff and making room for them to grow within your business so
0: they don't leave? I love it. I love the variety of questions. We're totally yeah. flipping topics here. Awesome. Um, Kobchai, and we actually just saw one, one of his trucks on the on the walk to the we studio did. here this morning. Um, okay, so here's the way that I look at this, guys, and and I'm going to explain something very simple to you that I don't think most people have actually internalized. Here's the deal. Your business needs people to take on more responsibility, right? Everyone says this. They're like, well, oh, I'm like wearing too many hats or the business is growing. Your business needs people to take responsibility. To step up. To step up. And you need to wear fewer hats. And they, the, these people that that, that Kopsha is talking about, want to take on more spens- responsibility. You've got to match, mm-hmm. right? So how do you retain high performers over time? You as a leader need to look at the whole puzzle in front of you and say, okay, this organization needs people to step up and they want to step up and I need them to step up. So it's your job as a leader to figure out, and I like to think about them as homes. What are those homes up high on the, up high on the mountain? What are those houses that people need to occupy? Mm -hmm. Okay. For the business needs and for my needs, for my lifestyle. And then you look at who are the people that want to ascend up the mountain and how do I help ascend them to those homes where they need to go?
1: Those homes though, they might not be obvious to like most business owners. So how do you go no. about thinking, though, thinking about where, like, and what what you're talking about specifically are like new initiatives, different projects, different divisions, perhaps different verticals you're going to get into that totally. you can hand off to these people. Like if, if that's like an abstract concept, you're not sure where to start as a business owner. Like how do you go about finding the homes to put these people in?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I think that the the reason that most people naturally can't come to these conclusions is that you're not spending enough time in the zone of being a smart strategic leader, right? When you're grinding it day to day, your mind cannot go to that place where you can think ahead and think strategically, right? So that's the real precursor. Like you have to be able to step out and you have to be able to look at the years ahead of the, what does the business need and what does my lifestyle need? What do I want in this life I've been given? Um, and what do I want to go create? And and that's, that, that's where you get those answers, right? So, um, some examples, if you're running production and sales and office management, those are homes that a real high performer needs to take each one of those and own, and they really need to own it. Someone needs to own production. Someone needs to own sales. Someone needs to own marketing. Someone needs to own all the office functions, right? Are there other verticals eventually that you're going to get into? Are there other cities and other geographical expansions you're going to get into, all of those things are places, um, are, are, are real, they're homes that somebody needs to fill, right? And and when you can paint those, picture, those, those in your, into your mind and then paint them in the form of like a real, we call it like a painted picture for the team of here's where we're headed as an organization. Um, so these are the roles or these are the projects and initiatives or these are the expansions in the business that we're gonna head towards um, and make it clear that the right person is gonna fill each one of those homes up high in the mountain. Mm-hmm. And then it's your job as a leader to ascend the right people up there.
1: I love it. Um, this concept of homes is a catchy one. Uh, just a couple of small thoughts I'd add to that in closing would be like high performers, most of them wouldn't admit this, but high performers want to be seen and known and acknowledged as high performers. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean like they need a, a badge or a sticker like or a trophy it's but what it what it could mean is they're given an opportunity they're past the mic in meetings and, oh, and you you ask them for their thoughts on things in a public way so the rest of the team sees it you ask them to head up a training session for some new staff or you um, you go out of your way to give them an audience in any way, like that could look a bunch of different ways, but you give them an audience. That's something that really, really matters to those key people, those overachievers, those A players. So it's a small thing. It's a good thing to do while you're figuring it, while you're building that home for someone to fill. Those would be some little things you can do, those little dishes that you can give to totally. them to keep them interested, give them a hit of dopamine, uh, make them feel important and valued uh, and like the high
0: performer that they I love are. It. Give your high performers an audience. Okay, I love it.
1: so 10 questions, 10 answers. Uh, let's leave it at that. Have a really, really awesome day, guys uh, and girls, and we'll see you next time. Hey, if you enjoyed this show, hit that subscribe button. It's what allows us to produce more awesome content for you totally for free.